Well, good morning and happy new year. Uh, parents, you, parents of kids up through fifth grade, you can uh, take your kids out to the Gospel Project. You're welcome to keep them in here, but we have uh, special program classes for them up through fifth grade in the preschool building and the children's building. And send them out now. We've got some people waiting out there for them. Well, if you haven't noticed already, I'm not Josh Bond. Uh, perhaps it's the lack of red hair that, that gives that away. Or as I continue preaching, it'll be that I'm not going to talk about sex today. I'm going to talk about a psalm, Psalm chapter 5. Uh, Josh is ill, so I'm pinch hitting for him today. So you can pray for Josh. Uh, he is going to finish out, finish out that series. I don't know what that was. He's going to finish it out with a bang, and uh, that'll be on January 12th. So mark your calendars. You hear more about this Wednesday, January 12th at 6.30 uh, as part of our Disciple Makers uh, intent, uh, classes, the kickoff that begins the launch night. So he'll be preaching that second sermon of, of that series on Song of Songs on that evening. I'm sure a lot of you will want to be here for that. Well, as we start the new year, we're going to take a look at one of the Psalms of David. I mentioned that just a second ago. 2021 was a difficult year for many. As Pastor Chuck just prayed, uh, even if it wasn't that difficult for you personally, it, it certainly wasn't what we expected that it would be at this time last year. We entered 2021 excited with, uh, among other things, the possibility of, of a new vaccine. And so we, we pray that this year will be different in a variety of ways. But regardless of what's in store for us in this coming year, the constancy of God's character is a bedrock for us. He's the rock of our salvation. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And who he is is always worthy to be praised. And we see that character of God revealed to us throughout Scripture. So praise God that he is a relational God. He speaks to us. He talks to us. He cares for us. He wants to be known. And he, he's made it possible for us to know him. So it's really stunning when you consider his perfect character and then you think about your worst moments from this past year or this past week or maybe even just this morning. He loves us enough to show us who He is. One of the places in Scripture where we see God's character and one of the places that we are most readily reminded of Him is, is in the Psalms. So you can turn there. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 5. It's on page 255 of the Blue Bibles that you'll find under the seat in front of you, Psalm chapter 5. The Psalms, of course, are the songbook of Israel. It's, it's 150 chapters. Uh, it's a steady diet for us of helping us to know how to pray, helping us to know God's character, who He is, how we are to relate to Him, how are we to, to uh, go to Him with things. And as I said, it's a, it's a handbook of God's character revealed to us chapter by chapter. So a perfect way to begin 2022 then is to look at one of the Psalms to see who God is. And to, to do that, we're going to start with a question. The question is, what's the worst thing that your enemies do to you? What's the worst thing that your enemies do to you? Now, you may be thinking, I don't have any enemies. I don't know what you're talking about. But I think if you'll think about it for a moment, you'll realize that we all have enemies. We all have enemies of various sorts. And as I said, we're going to be reading Psalm 5. That's one of the Psalms of David. Uh, we don't have enemies like King David had, 
people who want to kill us and take everything from us. His enemies were the worst. Hopefully you don't have enemies like that. But we have had enemies before. So maybe you think back to that bully that you had in middle school or the rival that you have in your, in your office or the friend who ended up stabbing you in the back. Maybe it's the person who cut you off in traffic last week or I think back a year ago, maybe it's the person who took that last roll of toilet paper right before you, you got to it. You still think about that person occasionally, don't you? Well, what's the worst thing that your enemies do to you? And what do you fear that they might do to you? I think if we thought about that long enough, you'd probably realize that one thing you fear that your enemies will do, and one, one thing that happens to all of us, is that their words hurt just as much as anything else. People hurl accusations at us. People gossip. People spread falsehoods about us. They lie about you. Now, hasn't that happened to you before? I think it's happened to all of us. Let's read Psalm 5 and see that it happened to David as well. We'll see also what we should do when that happens. So Psalm 5, it's to the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So David was besieged by his enemies, and we, we don't know the details or the circumstances that he's writing about here. We don't, don't really know exactly what is going on that caused him to write this. But we do know that he was in distress, and he was calling out to his God. And he's calling special attention to one as, uh, aspect in particular of what his enemies were doing to him. If you look back at verses 5 and 6, David doesn't mince words. He calls out the boastful those who speak lies, the bloodthirsty, the deceitful. And in verse 9, David gets even more colorful in his language. He mentions that there's no truth in them, that their throats are full of death, that their flattering words are false and empty. So clearly what's most destructive to David in that moment of his writing is the gossip, the slander, the lies, the hateful words, the deceit, of his enemies. So have you been where David is? I have. 
I think that we all have. But where I've often gotten angry and lashed out, David does something different. Where I have at least inwardly fought back with words that I, I would like to say to that person, to my enemies, David doesn't look inward for his rescue. But his focus isn't outward at his enemies either. Either Where I've been tempted to look externally and slander back against my opponents, David doesn't look externally for rescue either. Instead, David looks upward for his rescue. He turns to God. And maybe the most important thing to note is that he does so with confidence. That may be the thing that stands out the the most about this psalm is the confidence with which David speaks. Take a look again at verses 1 and 2. They're a call to God. He's crying out to God. He's trying to get God's attention. He's letting God know that he has a need. And then in verse 3, he's confident that God hears him. Look at what he says. Oh, Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So David's not questioning whether God is hearing his words. He's not questioning where God is. He's not questioning whether the, the words are just bouncing off the sky. He knows that God hears his voice. He's confident in that. He's confident that God hears his cry. He's confident that God will comfort him. And why, why is that? Why is it that he's confident? Well, I think he realizes that he's an offensive lineman. He's not the quarterback. Now, I'm going to give an analogy. One of my favorite football stories is of Joe Montana. This will make Zach happy. Former San Francisco 49er, uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, won four Super Bowls, I didn't like him, but I like this story. So, uh, first Super Bowl for him, first Super Bowl for his team. They're down by four points, three minutes left in the game, and they need a touchdown to, to, to win, and they're about 90 yards from the end zone. And so he enters into the huddle, and he notices, again, nobody's been in this situation before, including him, but he notices that everybody is really anxious and really nervous about what's going to happen. And so he looks up in the crowd, and he sees, many of you won't know this name, he was a famous comedian back in the 80s, John Candy. He sees John Candy in the stands, and he points him out to everybody in the huddle. And what does the rest of the team do? They turn and they look, and then they realize, this guy has incredible confidence to be in this moment, and he's, he's not so anxious that the moment is overwhelming him. He's confident in his abilities. He's confident in what's going to happen. He's so confident that he's pointing out somebody in the stands in this moment where there's just three minutes left in the game. And so they interviewed somebody after the game, and they said, uh, this offensive lineman said, I knew that if he had that kind of confidence, that I should be confident too. That's the kind of confidence we should have because God is the one who does everything for us. He is the one who is confident in all things. So like a good offensive lineman, David looked to his quarterback. He's surrounded by enemies, he's he's lamenting about them, but he knew God's character. That brings him great comfort, it brings him great joy, gives him confidence. The Lord is his strength, the Lord is his rescue. I guess I should finish that story and say that they went on and down and scored. They, They won the game, so that would have been a terrible story if they had lost, but but they won. So the Lord is his rescue. And in the midst of your struggles against your enemies, you can have that comfort, that joy, that peace, that confidence, that strength also. So let's look. He lists out uh, in the rest of the psalm 
some of the characteristics of God that give him that confidence, that give him that strength. So we're going to look at these one by one. The first that we see in verses 4 through 6 is that he's comforted by the holiness of God. The holiness of God. Let me read that again. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So granted, we don't see the word holy in those three verses, but isn't that what David is appealing to and drawing strength from, from God's holiness? When we speak of God's holiness, we're referring to his sinlessness, his complete separateness from sin, his perfect otherness. God is without sin. He's untouched by sin. When, when I touch something that is physically unclean, my hands get dirty. But God is different. He is the holy other. He cannot be touched by sin. He is the, the holy hand sanitizer, if you will. His cleanness trumps our sin. So David reminds himself that God doesn't delight in wickedness, that evil does not dwell in God, that God hates evildoers, that God abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful. In other words, David reminds himself that God is holy. So why does he remind himself of that? Well, a, a couple of things about God's holiness that might help us to understand why that gives him confidence. First, David knows that God doesn't delight in sin. So one question I would ask you is, do you delight in sin? Now, like me, your first reaction to that might be, of course not. Of course I don't delight in sin. But as I, I thought about that question, I, um, I became more and more convicted. A couple of examples of delighting in sin. Do you find celebrity news, the, the lives of uh, the, the rich and famous, do you find that entertaining? We, we live in a world of, of cheap, tawdry sin that is marketed to us as entertainment. And it's everywhere, isn't it? Do you celebrate the sin that you see on your phone screens? The sin of the lives of the rich and famous? If so, I'm certain that that's something that God would like to see you change. Perhaps uh, in this new year, you're, you should unfollow some people that you're following. Perhaps you should not uh, look at social media so much. Perhaps you should check where you're getting your news and pay more attention to uh, what you're taking in that you, not, that you might not delight in sin. Here's another thing that was convicting to me. What about the TV shows that you watch? Do you laugh at the sin or the sinful situations that you see? Are you entertained by sin? I think that's really convicting, isn't it? David's actually comforted knowing that God is not entertained by the sin of his enemies. God doesn't delight in wickedness. God's not watching our lives like a TV show and getting entertainment value from us. He's far more loving, far more intimately involved in our lives than that. God's not laughing at David's expense. And we shouldn't laugh at the sin of, sins of others. We should not delight in the wickedness of sin. Now, the second helpful point about God's holiness is this. David 
is comforted by God's holiness because he knows that God will not tolerate sin. He will not tolerate the arrogant. Because God is holy, he can't tolerate sin. So someday, those who don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them will be judged for their sin. They will be judged for their sin and they'll be punished for their evil deeds. Now, David knew that God's holiness demands judgment. God's holiness demands punishment. And that was a great comfort for him. So for the believer who is here in this room, that should provide comfort for you as well. When, when someone sins against us, we can be assured that though we may see or though we may not see instant justice, there will assuredly be justice because our God is holy and he will provide true and good and holy justice. And for the non-believer who is here, we're, we're glad that you've chosen to start your new year with us, but for the non-believer in the room, the fact that God is holy should get your attention. In fact, it should make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Not because God is evil or needlessly punishing, but because he sees all. Everything we've done that no one else knows about, every angry or, or lustful or greedy thought that you've had, God is holy and every sin is against him. He is holy in his justice. Now that's a comfort to the godly and it's a terror to those who don't have faith or trust in him. Now, the third point about God's holiness is equally heavy, maybe even heavier than that, and that's that God hates those who do evil. And we see that right there in verse 5. Take a look. It says, in black and white, you hate all evildoers. Now, that's not in vogue today, or probably, frankly, ever has that been in vogue. But God hates those who do, who do evil. You've heard that God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. Well, that's, that's true in the sense that he loves his children, believers in him, who still sin. But he hates evildoers. And if you think about that, aren't you glad that that's the case? Aren't you glad that that's true? He doesn't look away or hide his face when others sin against us. He won't stand for sin to go unpunished. He takes it seriously. And our infinitely holy God loves with an infinite and holy uh, wrath. So think about this with me for a moment. If you have a child or a friend or a spouse or somebody that you really love deeply who's being harmed in some way, and if they come to you for help and you just ignore them, won't even talk to them, they're coming to you for help, somebody that you love or you say that you love, and you ignore them, then what will they think about you? They'll think that you don't love them. And they might be right. David knows that God hates evil. And he knows that God will respond in holiness. As one theologian put it, we, we won't grasp the greatness of God's love and mercy unless we understand his hatred and wrath for sin and for sinners. And we all deserve that wrath. We're all sinners. Friends, I, I love you, but you're not a good person. And I'm not a good person. I didn't deserve for God to save me from my sin. 
But the good news of the gospel isn't really good news unless you know that God hates sin. If you're a believer in Christ, that was you at one time. The bigger the sin, the bigger the grace. So let me put it this way. When I look at my sinfulness, when I really look at how awful I have been, the things that I've done, but also the things in my heart, when I look at that, I know that I'm an awful person, and God must love me an awful lot to send me His Son to die for my sins. It's stunningly good news that He would take our sins upon Himself and that He would give us His righteousness in exchange, something we don't deserve at all. And if you're not a believer in Christ or if you view yourself today as as doing pretty good on your own, If you view yourself as not needing anyone else to make you right, if that's you, then please don't kid yourself. For you're a sinner in need of the grace and mercy of God. And finally, notice how strongly in this passage, in these three verses, that God speaks against lying. He equates murderers with liars. It's in verse 6. So just stunning when you think about that. That should be convicting to us. We should take our words seriously because God certainly takes our words seriously. And this was a comfort to God. He felt he was, or to David, he felt he was surrounded by liars. But he knew that God is a speaking God. We are created in God's image. God is holy and he will take our words seriously. So part of what it means to be holy is that you hate sin. And the degree to which you hate sin is determined by your holiness. If you hate sin only a little, it's likely because you're not as holy as as you need to be. But God is holy. He is infinitely holy. He takes our sin seriously. He takes our sin seriously in an infinitely serious way. So in this new year, I wish for you that you would find that God's holiness is our comfort and it's our rescue from our enemies and that you would have confidence in that truth. So before we move forward to the next characteristic of God that David looks to for help and for hope, let's note that David knows himself. David knows who he is. In the first two words of verse 7, David is including himself as one who is sinful. first two words of verse 7 say, but I, as as one who is is worthy. David knows he's worthy uh, of God's righteous and holy response to unholiness and sin. So by saying, but I, David is noting that he knows he should be included amongst those who are the enemies of God, that he's really no different. But God has graciously set him apart. And again, it's not because of any goodness, not because of any good thing that he's done, but because of God's choosing faithfulness to graciously redeem some, including David. So just a moment ago, we saw in the first few verses of this psalm, David recounting a list of ugly things that God opposes. Now, it may surprise you to realize that David is mindful that he also fits those categories of ugliness that he was just lamenting. Uh, Perhaps we like to think we put David on the pedestal. We like to think of him as a perfect man or that he had some ability that that, uh, we don't have or that nobody else has. But David knows that he's a sinner in need of God. Think about all the ugly things that David has done. He's an adulterer. Remember his lustful and abusive relationship with Bathsheba. 
He's a murderer. Remember that he orchestrated the death of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. He's an absent father. Remember the, the family turmoil that resulted from his selfishness and his misaligned priorities. David was a liar. Remember that he often told untruths to get he and his men out of trouble and away from danger rather than relying fully on God. David's no better than the enemies that he's talking to God about. And let's not kid ourselves. We're not better than David is either. We're not good on our own. We need to continue to appeal to God, to rely on Him, to submit to Him, to stay in His Word, to hear and obey His commandments. Not on our own are we good, only through God. So David realizes that as he's writing the psalm. Let's read about the next characteristic that gives him comfort. In verses 7 and 8, we read, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. So again, with the but I, David notes that he's different than his enemies only because he's been set apart for God's purposes. So David goes on to find comfort in God's love. He finds that God's love is David's rescue from his enemies. He finds that God's love is his rescue from his enemies. His hope is not just in God's holiness, but also in God's steadfast love. So steadfast love is, is translated mercy or loving kindness in other translations. It's the Hebrew word hesed, and hesed means more than love. It refers to God's covenantal loyalty or his committed love. God is a God who makes and keeps covenants. He is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his people. He's faithful to himself. And when he commits himself to us, then he's all in. He is fully on our side, and there's nothing that can stand in his way. And that's what David is finding comfort in as he's surrounded by his enemies. They're speaking lies against him, but David remembers that God is faithful, that he's committed. So as evil as his enemies are, God is greater and better still. I would ask, do you have that same hope and that same trust? When you're faced with the discouragement of naysayers and those who, who don't love you or those who are not for you, when you're faced with that reality, do you remember the committed love of God? Is that a comfort to you? As you ponder that, one, one final thought on David's words concerning God's love. Notice that he says that he enters into God's house through the abundance of his steadfast love. And here, David is just finding a different way to remind us that we don't enter into God's presence in our own strength or by our own merit. We don't enter into God's presence through our good works. We don't enter into God's presence through our goodness. We don't enter into God's presence through our, our family heritage. We don't enter into God's presence through our church attendance. We don't enter into God's presence through reading the Bible or praying or, or uh, doing any of the spiritual disciplines. We enter into God's presence only through His committed love for us. So in this new year, I wish that you would find that God's love is our comfort that God's love is our rescue from our enemies, and that you would have confidence in that truth.
So David's taken solace in God's holiness, and he's taken solace in God's love, and now he turns towards God's justice. In verses 9 and 10, we read, For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. So David lays out his evidence here against his enemies in verse 9. And really, he's been doing that through the whole psalm. But then in verse 10, he finally asks God for justice. So this is the first psalm in all of the Psalter, in all of the book of Psalms. The first psalm where the writer of the psalm asks God for justice. So really important here. Let's, let's consider the reason. What's the reason that David is asking for justice to be done? I think that's really important for us to consider. Let's, let's look at that. When someone is harming you, when someone's harming you, you want justice, right? Well, of course we do, but why do we want justice? Well, is it not mainly because we want our enemies to get what they deserve? We want the people that are, that are acting against us to get what's coming to them. They've wronged us. They've harmed us. We want to make them pay. And that's a major motivator for us, isn't it? At least for me, that is. Am I the only one here today that, that has that motivation when someone's doing wrong? We want them to pay for that. And if that's not the primary motivator, then the primary motivator is that we want to be vindicated. If someone's lying about us, we want the truth to come out so that everyone knows that we're right, so that everyone knows that we're not the liar, that they are. We want to be proven right. We want to be vindicated. And by having that as our motivation, are we not saying that what others think about us is more important than what God thinks about us? God knows us, and He is the one that we should look to to try to please, not to, to be so concerned with being vindicated, putting our focus on other people rather than our focus on, on God. So do you see the, both of those motivations when we're being attacked, when somebody's saying something uh, untrue about us, when we're being attacked by our enemies, both of those primary motivations that we most have are self-focused. But what's David's motivation? Look at the last line of Verse 10, the reason he's calling for justice is because his enemies have rebelled against God. God's motivation for justice, or David's motivation for justice, is really not personal. David's motivation for justice is really not personal. He has a God focus even in the midst of his attack of these enemies. So how different is that from us? We, we get swallowed up by our circumstances at all times, but especially when we're in the middle of of some trouble. Often when we're in a struggle, all we can see is the fear and the pain and the difficulty of what it is that we're going through. But we need to look up more than we look out. We need to look up more than we look out. But we also need to look up more than we look inward when we're being attacked or mistreated. We need to look up more than we look out. We need to look up more than we look outward or inward. We need to focus on God instead. So when we, when we recognize in the midst of our struggles that God is the one ultimately who is being sinned against, we, we lose our self-pity. We lose our self-focus. We stop elevating ourselves to a position that we were never meant to have in the first place. 
And we rightly place God at the center. So when you're maligned or you're falsely accused, think less of your reputation and more about the fact that God is your defender, that your enemies are maligning God's child, that your enemies are rebelling against God. So in this new year, I wish for for you that you would find God's justice to be a comfort and to be a rescue from your enemies. Pray that you would find confidence and joy and, and hope and peace in that truth. And then finally in the psalm, verses 11 and 12, we see that, that David is comforted by the kindness of God. Verse 11 says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. David ends this psalm in in a keen awareness of the kindness of God. Let all who take refuge in God rejoice. God is a God of refuge. He covers us under his provision, his protection. He's a shield around us. He's the rock of our salvation. So have you stopped to consider all of the things that God has done for you and all the things that God does for you. I think it's, it's uh, natural for us to think about all the things that He has done in the past first. He gave us His Son. We're adopted children of the King. He's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's given us the righteousness of Christ. We're regarded, regarded now as holy by God because of all that He has already done. Those are things that have already happened to us and for us. And we ought to praise God for that. That's the kindness of God that He's done those things for us. So what is He currently doing for us? What is He doing for you right now? Well, God has given us His Holy Spirit. We're indwelled by God Himself. Now, how crazy is that, that the God of the universe would live inside of me or of you? The Holy Spirit is reminding us of the truth. He's convicting us of sin. He's leading us into the righteousness of God. He's he's clearing a path for us to do what is good and right and holy for God and for us, for our good. But further than that, God is offering himself as our refuge. That's what he's doing for us right now. This, This is a weary world. Lots of struggles each day in the present, in the here and the now. Difficulties wait us in this new year, but we can find rest in Him, even in this age of restlessness. So no matter what your your previous year was like, no matter what you may be fearing about what this year is going to be like, we can find rest and we can find hope. We can find refuge in our God, just as David did. That is the kindness of God. So another great kindness of God is that Jesus is interceding for you, believer, right now at this very moment. He's advocating for you. He he knows what your needs are. He knows the temptations that we face. He knows how great your struggles are. He knows what this upcoming year holds, and he's advocating for each of you as a believer right now at this very moment. God is kind beyond measure. So David began this psalm talking about the enemies 
of God. And he ends the psalm talking about the kindness of God. David knew that even if his enemies were unkind, they were no match for the kindness of our great God. What a comfort to us in the midst of our trials and struggles. So in this new year, I wish for you that you would find confidence in, that you would find uh, comfort in, that you would find rescue in our God because of his kindness and that you would have confidence in that truth. So friends, this, this psalm is about the lies, the deceit, the slander, the gossip of others, the wounds of the tongue. But the principles of David's psalm apply in all kinds of situations where we might feel attacked or we might feel maligned or even if we're just struggling. David reminded himself of God's character. He reminded himself of God's holiness, of God's committed love, of God's justice, and of God's kindness. We can have confidence in our rescue from our enemies because of God's great character. So how do we do that then? Let me end with this. How do we do that? How do we remind ourselves of God's character? Well, you can't remind yourself of God's character if you don't spend time with him, if you don't really know his character in the first place. And where do we find God's character revealed in Scripture? Pastor Chuck, earlier in the announcements, mentioned the three-year Bible reading plan. What a great way for us to know God's character, to know who He is, than by spending the next three years reading through the Bible and do that together with somebody, sharing, learning about God's character and being strengthened and encouraged. Make no mistake, just spending time with God is reward in and of itself. That is enough just to spend time with God. But one of the side benefits of spending time with God is that we are prepared for the struggles of this day because we know God's character. We're comforted by who He is, all the promises that He's made in Scripture, who He says that He is, all the promises that He's kept. We're comforted as we know that. So spending time with God, reading the Bible, is is benefit of its own, but it has that side benefit of it prepares you and helps you for your time of need. That's coming up. So I would encourage you, we're just a couple of days into 2022, would you pray about how you would leave 2022, a year from now, knowing God better, knowing His character more, being better prepared for whatever it is that He has for you in the coming years, better prepared for the attacks of our enemies and for the struggles that are to come. Let's end our time this morning praising God for Jesus He's the perfect physical embodiment of these things that we've just, of these characteristics that we just mentioned. He's sinless. He hated sin. He's he's holy. He's loving. He's just. He's kind. We read in Luke chapter 5, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. When when David met his enemies, David was scared for his life. He was concerned for his life. He was concerned that the touch of death would destroy him. But when Jesus met his enemies of sin and death, it was exactly the opposite. Jesus touched those who were ceremonially unclean, and he made them clean. And he was not made unclean by that. He's perfectly holy. So just like David, we can be comforted by the holiness of God through Jesus. 
But beyond that, Jesus is the embodiment of 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you are familiar with that uh, famous so-called love chapter. Think of all the times in Scripture that Jesus was patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, not arrogant, not rude, not irritable, not resentful. And think of all the times that Jesus was, was not those things to you in this past year. That He was not uh, unkind, that He was not impatient with you. So just like David, we can be comforted by the steadfast love of God through Jesus. And Jesus is also just. He's the defender of the weak. He railed against death. He held accountable the arrogant Pharisees. So like David, we can be comforted by the justice of God and the justice that he provides through Jesus. And Jesus is kind. He showed compassion to the neglected, compassion to the overlooked, to the outsider. He spent time with those people. He is gentle and lowly. And like David, we should be comforted by the kindness of God that is embodied in Jesus. So praise God for Jesus for so many reasons. But in this case, on this morning, praise Him for His personal example to us of holiness, of love, of justice, and of kindness. And because of who He is, we can find comfort, we can find joy, we can find peace in this new year. We can have complete confidence even in the midst of the struggles against our enemies because God is our rescue. God is our, our confidence. God is our comfort in the time of our struggle. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Um, whether it's Song of Songs or a psalm or Mark as we're going to begin next week, uh, whatever the book is, it's always applicable to our times and for our world, for our lives. So God, we pray that we would be comforted by uh, who you have revealed yourself to be, who you are. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We pray that as we go into this new year that we would seek to make much of you because of who you are, and that as we, as we get to know you more through your scripture, through sharing that scripture with others around us, that, that we would grow deeply, more deeply in love with you, and we might be a changed people, a transformed people, because of who you are and who you've made us to be. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.